0: Who in here has ever done something because of a dare? Now who won't admit to it? How many did it not work out so well for that you're like, why you got to go there? That's in the past. No, there's something about when somebody genuinely challenges us at a level like that. That's like, I dare you to do this. That there's something inside that's like, okay, let's see what happens. You know, it just kind of motivates us a little bit. That can be in a good way or a bad way. And it just depends on where our heart is and what it is that we're doing. But in some ways, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in this section of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. He's finishing up his discussion and his challenge to them about giving. And he finally, you know, he's... He's talked about, you know, it's for your benefit and, and you know, faith is going to grow and all of that. I mean, he kind of has built the case and he gets to this part in chapter 9 and he just kind of lays out the, the big truth of what it means to give generously. The, the spiritual truth of it, the challenge behind it, the truth of who God is, and, and it's like he just finally lays down the, the final part of this discussion because he's going to move on. Uh, he's had quite a big section talking about this gift, and they're giving to uh you know the saints in Jerusalem that are suffering from this famine and This is a real challenge for the Corinthians and for all the other churches and so he he's had a long discussion on it, but it's necessary because without it, we wouldn't have this wonderful truth that is revealed to us you know in many ways, we look at the Corinthian church and you know, we can agree, they, they had their problems. They, they got a lot wrong, but they grew, and Paul bragged about them, and they walked in faith, and they, they overcame. But because of their struggles, we have some of the greatest teaching in the New Testament on certain topics that can, we can benefit from. And learning how to give generously, like the, the real core of what it means to be generous There's really nowhere in scripture with a better description than what we're about to read in 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6. And so the apostle Paul says this, starting in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So Paul just kind of builds to this crescendo right here, and he's like, here's why you need to give. Can you turn me down just a little bit? I'm a little, it's a little loud. When I hear myself breathing, it's a little much. So, yeah. (laughs) The joys of technology. So one of the truths that he really wants to put out there early, and, and he just straight says it, is that we reap what we sow. Now, how many of you, when you hear that phrase, we reap what we sow, you think of something negative immediately, like it's coming back, right? That's not what Paul is saying. This is not a negative right here. It's a challenge. And so when he says we reap what we sow, and we often think of that in a negative because Paul does use it in a negative sense in Galatians. And he says, don't be fooled. God is not mocked. Man reaps what he sows. If he sows according to the flesh, he reaps according to the flesh, but then he also there turns it around to the positive. If he sows according to the spirit, he reaps according to the spirit. So Paul likes this imagery because it is, it is true. We reap what we sow. Now, what is that? That means we harvest what we plant. And if we plant only a few seeds, we can expect a harvest of only a few plants, you know, a few, few pieces of fruit. If we plant a whole bunch of seeds, we can expect an abundant harvest. Now, of course, this is a metaphor for faith, for acting in faith. And what Paul is telling us is that if we are willing to invest in faith, in the things of God, it's going to come back. God will bring it back around to us. but we have to start to look at it in terms of what are we investing in? You know, investors invest not for the moment, right? They invest for the future. That's why it's called investing. You put it into something hoping that in time it brings you something back. A farmer is doing that very thing. He is investing in the ground. He is investing in these seeds. He puts them in the ground. He does not expect something to happen quickly. It is done completely with a hope for the future. Amen? With an expectation of the future. Amen? And I, when I say expectation, I mean the farmer is going to be very disappointed if he, if he spends all the time tilling the ground and preparing it, and he plants a ton of seed, and nothing happens. I mean, he, he will have invested himself in something that was a complete failure. But that's not what's going to happen. We know it works. Unless you just get the worst batch of seeds in the history of the world, something's going to grow. And Paul is telling us that in faith, the same principle applies. So look at it again, verses 6 and 7. And he gets, after all of this discussion about giving, and it's better to give and to receive, and all of the discussion he's had, he sums it up, he says, the point is this. Here's the big picture view on giving. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now here is the clearest New Testament teaching on giving, tithing that you will have, okay? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God does not want to force us to be generous. Because that's against the very nature of grace and generosity. He says, I want you to purpose it in your heart. I want you to give from a place where you can do it with joy. Where you can do it cheerfully. And and as Paul was talking about earlier, that that you do it out of a love for what you're doing. Not, oh, I have to do this. Oh, I don't, I just can't. Giving And giving generously comes from a place of our heart, of what we really believe and what we value. And if we're having to do it under compulsion, which means we're being forced into it, then that means we don't really believe what we're giving to. That means we don't really see the the point in, in it happening. And Paul says, That's not what I want for you. That's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want our faith to be drudgery that we have to force ourselves every single time to obey God, when we figure out there is joy in obedience, it motivates us and we want to obey. And we want to do the things of God because we understand they lead to life. And so, everything God asks us to do will ultimately be revealed as important and necessary. But there will always be a gap okay understand this between planting and harvesting and that goes for your own life so you may you may commit yourselves to okay i'm gonna i'm gonna commit myself to this radical generosity that that the pastor's been talking about i want to be generous in life and and you give and you give and after a while you're like you know what this is wearing me out and i'm not sure how long i can do this well if we want if we give expecting something in return we're kind of missing the point but if we, if we are just giving and we keep giving and we keep giving and, and, you know, it's just wearing us out over time, understand what God has to do in our lives and in our minds, there's going to be a gap between the planting and the harvesting. And sometimes it's a long gap. Sometimes we can invest in things in the kingdom of God and we really put the time in and we we I mean, you know joyfully we're into it and we learn to give and we just keep going and keep going and we don't see it for a long time. And we wonder, God, is this going anywhere? And then one day it happens. And we start to see not that you know the whole world changes, but we start to notice we have become a different person in the process. We start to notice we are looking at the world differently. We start to notice we aren't missing what we're giving away. Now you notice that? We start to notice we're not missing what we're giving away. In fact, we're enjoying giving it away, and we don't give it a second thought. We just give, and we realize, I'm I'm in a good place. You know what? That's a harvest moment. Where you realize God has done something in your heart where you used to you used to have to push yourself and you were a little uncomfortable giving. And everybody that struggled with learning to be generous knows what I'm talking about right there. God always asks for about one or two steps beyond what we're comfortable doing. He doesn't ask us to to be financially irresponsible. He doesn't ask us to put ourselves in, in debt or financial peril to be generous. But he does ask us to give enough that if there's any selfishness inside, it's going to activate it. And it's going to go, hmm, that's that's too much. And we're going to go, I must be tiptoeing right up to where God wants me to be then. Because my flesh is starting to rebel. My mind is starting to tell me no. And yet my spirit is pushing me forward. And you learn how to overcome that. But if we get stuck in... Honestly, selfish thinking. Then we reap what we sow. And we don't create the opportunity for God to work at a level that he could. It's not that God is limited in his power, but we can limit his work in our lives through our unbelief. Jesus went to different towns and there were places he went and said because of their unbelief, he couldn't do much. They just simply wouldn't believe, and so he, you know, he said he laid his hands on a few people, healed a few sick people, but that was it, because nothing could happen because they didn't have faith. And that's what happens in our own life. And that's what Paul means when he says, if we sow sparingly, we're not giving God opportunity to work, then we're going to reap sparingly, and we're not going to see the harvest of what's happening. Of all that God wants to do. And look, this is, this is so beyond just finances, but he is talking about finances right here. He is talking about actual giving of money in this passage. So I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but I don't want to underrepresent it either. He is talking about money right here. Giving financially to support the work of God. But let's look at that principle of reaping what we sow in other areas. I can't tell you the number of times I've had people come to me and they're like, I really, I want to get to know God. I want to know God. I want to, I want to understand him. And I said, okay, what are you reading in scripture? And there was that kind of silence. And I said, okay, and, and that's fine. I, I said, you got to get into scripture. And they started to come back like, that's too hard. And I said, so you want to know God, but you're not going to read his word, so well, and basically they're like, isn't there a shortcut? <laughs> and I'm like, no, there isn't. We've not yet introduced the way where we can plug into something and just download the info, okay? You've got to study it. And what I find is the more a person really wants to know God, what do we got to do? There's a gap, okay? We've got to plant the seed, which means we've got to take the time to learn this book. We've got to take the time. We've got to know there are 66 Books in the Bible that all individually have their own messages and yet they work together in perfect harmony to to give us the the revealed word of God, the, the holy inspired scriptures that teach us about God, his kingdom, us, the world. And if we don't take the time to learn it, then the harvest that comes from the truth won't appear in our lives. So how much time do we have to put in? A lot. How much scripture do we have to really make a part of our heart and our mind before we start to see it really make a difference in our lives? A lot. Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How much of his word is hidden in your heart? And that's not just memorization, okay? Hidden in your heart means that you've made it a part of your life. It is how you think. It is the filter you run life through. How much scripture is in your life? Have you sown sparingly or bountifully in your investment in scripture? And what are you reaping from it? Now, that's just one area. Okay, that is just one area. There's prayer, there's worship, there's fellowship. See, what we sow, what we plant is eventually what we're going to reap. And this is a hard truth that will never change in the Christian life. Now, there's a good side to this, okay? And that is the fact that God wants your faith to grow. So you are not on your own in this, okay? God wants your faith to grow. And so he's going to give you opportunities to act in faith. Now, doesn't that sound wonderful? When you hear it in a sermon, isn't that just the greatest thing? Ever? Oh, God's going to give you opportunities to grow in faith. You know what that means in the real world? That means you're not going to know what you're doing. And you're going to have to trust God in the process of stepping and taking a step that you're not sure how it's going to end. And yet God wants He wants your faith to grow, which means he doesn't want to disappoint you. He doesn't want you to step out in faith and then you fall and he's like, oh, sorry, I you know, didn't see that coming. He wants your faith to grow, which means he's already figured out, you know, he knows it's going to be hard, but he's already figured out the safe landing. He's already figured out the path. He's already there. He's allocated for all of it. He knows your doubts and your fears, and He's already covered them with grace. But He's not going to make the path easy. He'll make the path assured. He will make it steady. And He will be there every step of the way. And it's going to lead somewhere good. Okay, I need an amen. It's going somewhere good. All the time. God is not going to let you down. But that doesn't mean that he's going to make it easy. And so when you run up into these things, that is when you got to look at it and say, okay, am I sowing according to faith so I can reap according to faith? Because God wants your faith to grow. And so listen listen to what he says in 2 Peter 1.3. It says his divine power has granted to us. Now granted means he's already given it to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That means God has already given you everything you need. Now how many of you are like, I don't feel like I have everything I need. You know why? Because your faith hasn't caught up to the truth yet. Now that's okay, because none of our faith has completely is caught up to the truth yet, okay? The truth outpaces us by so much that that's what God wants to do, is he's saying, I've already given it to you, it's secure, it's good, now walk the path. And we're like, but God, I don't see it. And he goes, that's the point. We walk by faith, not by sight. Take the step. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but take the step. It's hard. It's scary at times. And yet you took the step and you realized God was there. He was there. It's, it's working. It still might be scary, but it's working. And God is leading you into something good. So the challenge is not to get God to be generous with us because he already has. The challenge then is growing our faith so that we can see and experience what God has already given us. The challenge is our faith being grown. And so listen to what Paul says on this very subject in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Do you notice how that worked? You will be enriched in every way to be what? In every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So it comes back to God's glory and we're going to talk about that in a second. You see, the real question is which comes first, God's abundant provision or our generosity? Which one? Chicken or the egg? (laughs) Which comes first? The answer is yes. That is the answer. You see, think of it like this. One. As Peter already pointed out, God has already been generous and abundantly provided grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's already given us everything necessary for life and godliness. He has already blessed us, as Paul says in Ephesians, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Every single one of them. There is nothing left that God could give. He has withheld absolutely nothing. So, yes, it starts with God's generosity, and any time we start thinking that we're lacking, we've got to go back to the Scriptures and those specific places and realize God's already given us everything we need to serve His kingdom. Not to build our own little worldly kingdom the way we want it, but to serve His kingdom the best we possibly can. He's given us everything necessary for it. Everything necessary to grow our faith, everything necessary to walk in faith, everything necessary to serve Him. He's already given done it. And so in the gospel, we see this radical generosity poured out for us on display for us to learn from. God has already been generous first. But if God made everything easy, we would never have to grow or trust him in new ways. We would never draw, I'm telling you, we would never draw near to him. Has anybody in here ever said, you know what, life is so good, I can't take it anymore. I need things to change. Life is so good, I really want to think differently about the world right now. No, we want to hold on to that, man. We want it to never change. And so God, He will, He'll turn up the heat on us sometimes, not to hurt us, not to, but, but to force us to grow, to think differently, to let go of idols in this world. Or simply to step into a more abundant faith in which we trust him more and we serve him to a greater capacity and degree. It's not always negative. Everything God does is genuinely to pull us closer to him, which is a good thing. And so, God consistently asks us to act in faith first. Based on what he's already done in the gospel. We look to Jesus, we look to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he died for our sins, he was resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of God, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him, amen. That's enough. Okay, that is enough. We can say, okay, I'm serving the king of the universe, he's got this. But after that, he consistently asks us to take a step in faith first. Which means committing to things like being generous, committing to things like tithing, committing to to getting into the word when we don't understand how it's going to work. It means we look at our bank account and say, God, you want me to tithe? But God, I got like $10 extra every month. And he says, good, I want you to give 11. And you're like, 11, I just told you I only have 10. He says, I know. I want you to give 11. Because you need to get your financial thinking straight and you're going to have to reorganize some things to make 11 work. And you're going to find out you're kind of wasting money over here. And, and when you do that, I'm going to bless you. And when I bless you, I'm going to pull you up to $20 that you're going to be able to afford. And I'm going to ask for 21 Do you see how this works? And I'm telling you, there is a truth to this that I wish... I, I just, there are times you wish you could just take a snapshot of what you've seen over and over and over and over and over and just be able to put it on a screen and like, just, just watch this. Because I can't tell you the number of people that have come to me that I've talked to, they're like, you know what? I didn't use to tithe. God convicted me. So I started doing it, didn't know how I was going to afford it. And I committed to it. And then I got a raise at work. And then I wanted to be selfish with the raise, and God said no, and I said, no, I'm going to be selfish with it, and I started keeping to myself, and then my washer broke, and then the next month, this happened, and I started noticing every bit of the extra that I was keeping for myself, I was spending on other stuff, and so I said, okay, God, fine, and they started giving, and they said, and then I got another raise, and God asked for a little bit more. And he's like, now, and, and these, are, these are mature Christians that finally, by the end of it, they're like, you know what, I'm 40 years past that now. God tells me to give. I just give it. I don't even think about it anymore because I know he, he's going to take care of me. And you know what? There's something biblical about this, okay? In Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, Malachi is calling out the Israelites for their unfaithfulness to God. And one of the things they've been unfaithful in is they've been selfish. They haven't been breathing their tithes. They haven't been doing what, what God has told them to do financially. So listen to what he says. is, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. See, act in faith. Something good will happen. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. So you remember where I started the sermon? I said, you ever been dared to do something? This is God daring his people to be generous, to give, to follow the biblical mandate to tithe. Now, who here remembers when Jesus was tempted and Satan said, you know, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. How did Jesus respond? Yeah, a man shall live by, you know, the word of God, not not bread alone. So then he takes him up to the temple and he says, oh, you're going to use the word of God. Okay, well, throw yourself down and the angels will bear you up. And how did Jesus respond? Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Now, putting him to the test is creating an artificial situation where we try to force God's hand and say, but your word said this, and then we do something stupid and try to force God to, you know, to answer it. And he says, no, God sees through that. Yet, don't you find it remarkable that in this section of Scripture in Malachi, God says that very thing? He says, go ahead and test me in this one. He created an exception. He has the commandment, do not put the Lord your God to the test, oh, except when it comes to giving generously he says go ahead put me to the test here i dare you to see if you can outgive me and that's the the test he says go ahead do it you commit yourself to tithing you commit yourself to being generous and see if i don't bless you so that you have no need and you don't miss what you're giving don't you find that interesting That's amazing to me that there is one area where God's like, I double dog. I triple dog dare you to trust me in this way and see if I don't bless you. Now, like I said, if we give and we're just like, okay, I gave. God, where's my blessing? You kind of miss the point. Uh, Okay? But also, remember... There is the gap between sowing and reaping. There is always a gap. And so we have to commit ourselves to God's ways first and walk in them before we see what he's going to do with it. And he's always going to do something good with it. Always. Now listen, Paul says basically the same thing as Malachi. He just puts it a little differently. Okay, listen in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Now, how many could go for that? All sufficiency in all things at all times, so that you may abound in every good work. God blesses so that we can obey. We obey, God blesses, and God blesses so we can obey. And it's a loop that will keep repeating itself. But here's the cool thing about it is that loop just keeps getting bigger. The more faithful we are, the more God will bless you. And and I mean that. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in here is going to get rich. But trust me, the blessing may be that materialism has broken your life. And you're able to live freely in a way you didn't think you could. And you know what? Money doesn't make me afraid anymore. It may bless your marriage in a way that both of you learn to be generous with each other and and you don't fight about money anymore and it's like, you know what, it's all God's and we're just going to be responsible, we're going to honor God with this and and, and your marriage and family just blossom because of it. The blessings will be there. And and so that's what he means when he says you may abound in every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and what? Say it louder. Multiply your seed for sowing. Notice he expects us to do something with it. It's not just for us to sit back and enjoy it and be like, oh, look, God blessed me. Seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And what is righteousness? Right living. He's saying it's going to affect your life. Everything about this is going to lead you to a good place of obedience where you walk with God in faithfulness. And the point was what? He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Now, I know we have some mature Christians in this room that could come up here right now and testify to this fact. I know we have people in here that could come up and say, you know what, I didn't want to tithe, I didn't want to give, I was selfish with it, and God dealt with me, and I learned how to do it, and my life has been better ever since. I I guarantee you, we could have that moment of testimony right now in this room. Now, I'm not going to call anyone up because they're not prepared, and that freaks people out. But it happens. It happens. And this is something that God literally is daring us to do. He's like, I just, I dare you. I challenge you. Go ahead and test me and see if it doesn't work out. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a moment of getting out of the boat and walking on water like Peter did. Uh, it, it is. It, you know, hey, if that's you, Jesus, call me out. there. He's like, go ahead, step out. Come on. Peter's the only one that did it. Could it be others? Oh, yeah, anybody could have. Peter's the one who was willing to step out and step in faith. And he did something amazing. Every single one of us have this challenge before us. Look, I'll speak personally. I remember in my life when I didn't want to tithe. And I I genuinely didn't want to. And you know what? I was a broke college student then. And the reason I didn't want to tithe is because I didn't have any money. (laughs) And I was like, God, I can't afford to tithe. And God's like, really? You're studying for ministry and you don't want to tithe? Do you even understand how messed up that is? And I remember when I was like, okay, this has to end. Like, I just I have to do this. And, and I just started doing it and I haven't looked back since. I don't, it's not my money. It's God's. I, and I genuinely, like, I don't even think about it. Like, it's just, that's the first thing. Our And Janning can attest, the first thing that goes out, like, the first thing, when we set our budget and we look at it, it's like, okay, this is God's money. That's gone. Here's what we live on. And we don't even think about it since then. And you know what? I can attest to, God has taken care of us. God has so taken care of us in life that we, we, we genuinely have no no complaints and we couldn't complain even if we wanted to. And we've done it on one income. We've done it on two incomes. We've done it on bad incomes. <laughs> we've, we've done it, okay? And God has taken care of us through all of it. So don't let the enemy get in your mind and tell you we can't afford to do this. I'm going to tell you something. As a Christian, you can't afford not to. And, and I mean that. You can't afford not to. And that's why... Literally, in the Old Testament, it was 10%. That was the tithe. In the New Testament, there's really no official, like, you need to give this amount. What Paul just says, he says, you need to give what you've purposed in your heart to give. Give it cheerfully, give it freely, okay? But let me tell you something. There's something good about that 10% number. You know why? Because it's just enough that, like I said, if there's something selfish in there, it's going to activate it. It's just enough that you're going to be like, ah, oh. okay. <laughs> You're going to, it is, the flesh is going to hesitate at that amount. And yet, I guarantee it's an amount, all of us, if we have to, we'll do without. But what is the promise from God? He says, oh, I'll bless you. The blessing will be there. Because the goal in all of this is not that we get a blessing, okay? Like I said, if we're giving an expectation, I mean, just to get, we've misunderstood the whole process. Because the goal is God's glory. The goal is that He is glorified, that people draw closer to Him, that we draw closer to Him, that we all walk in faithfulness. see, listen to verse 12. Paul pulls it back around to this fact, okay? He's challenged them to give, and he said, God's going to provide everything that you need, but he pulls it back to here's the goal. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. He says, look, the great thing that's happening right here is people are giving God praise. That's the point. He says, yes, you're helping supply the needs of people who are in need. You're alleviating suffering. But that's too low a goal. That's just what's happening. The bigger picture is that they are glorifying God because of what you're doing. You're glorifying God by what you're doing. They're giving thanks. You're glorifying Him in obedience. This is what this is about, is that God is praised. And that is the point. In serving God, our chief goal is to glorify Him. End of story. When we make it about ourselves, that's when problems come in. When we make it uh, about God, you owe me, rethink that. Okay, just rethink that very, very quickly. God doesn't owe us anything. Now, by his amazing grace, he has challenged us in this field. He said, oh, I dare you, see if you can outgive me. Why? Because God is generous and he wants to bless and he wants to give so that we can further serve. And that's what it's about. But... If we don't make the glory of God our chief goal in life, we are shooting too low. And I mean that. We are shooting too low. The goal should be to glorify Him in everything, in your finances, in your relationships, in your thinking, in your entertainment, in everything. Think, I want to glorify God. What brings glory to Him? Because it is in glorifying God that we find our true meaning and purpose and expression of humanity in life. Because we were created to glorify Him. And that's where we connect with Him and we're able to walk in faith. So Paul wants unity in the church. He wants everybody to obey. He wants everybody giving thanks so that God is glorified. We have to remember that. And when this happens... When we take the focus off of ourselves and we make it about glorifying him, that's when we begin to espouse the values of the kingdom. And things like love, generosity, forgiveness, and grace begin to guide our lives. And that is when we start to see the harvest of what God is going to do. So we sow bountifully. We invest ourselves in becoming the people God wants us to be. We glorify Him. We learn to give. We learn to love. We learn to show grace. We learn to study the Scripture and make the truth a part of our lives. And as we sow and we invest and we plant that in our lives, when God is glorified, it all starts to bear fruit. And the wonderful thing is as it bears fruit, those around us benefit from the fruit. That is produced in our lives and the focus is completely off of ourselves and it's on to God and yet God is doing amazing things through each and every person that's growing and so my challenge to you this week is ask where you can be radically generous and and start doing it if you're not tithing to the church do it start and if you're like, hey, i got $10 that I can give, okay, give 11 and trust that God's going to provide that extra dollar. But you give as God purposes in your heart, not under compulsion, not angry about it, but that I am giving, this is God's money and I am going to honor Him with it. You start walking in that obedience if you're not and watch what happens. Give it time, but watch what happens. Your life will transform. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for the grace that you have shown us through your son, the generosity of grace, of love, of forgiveness, of hope. God, of mercy that is new every day. God, you provide everything that we have. It all belongs to you. We have it because of your generosity. And God, I pray that that thankfulness would guide our hearts, God, that we would look at what we have in our lives and be thankful for what you have provided. God, that we wouldn't be caught in our sinful ways as Adam and Eve and focus on what we don't have. But God, we would see the garden of plenty that is around us that you have provided. God, help us to be generous as you have been generous with us. Teach us, God. Mold our hearts. Grow us in our faith so that you are glorified. God, convict us where we resist you. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do in our hearts. We pray that you reveal truth, that you apply truth. God, that you convict us of sin and empower us for obedience. And God, I pray when we see the blessing of obeying, when we see that harvest in our lives, God, it would just simply lead to greater service. God, that we wouldn't seek to keep any for ourselves, but God, that we would seek to give even more, to serve even more, because you have empowered us to. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.